we knew historically that Black Diamond had been troublesome to develop in and that, that developers often fought very fierce resistance from both the political side of the house and the resident side of the house with development there. So we were, we were basically prepping for war. Hi, you're listening to That Really Happened, Unbelievable Real Estate Stories. I'm your host, Ellie Perlman. If you're a real estate investor, this is the podcast for you. Our guest speakers will bring you amazing, intriguing, and unbelievable stories about real estate investing. The stories will be an honest and transparent account about what it actually means to invest in real estate. You'll hear stories that investors don't usually share. Stories about hardships, breaking points, painful truths, and surprising realizations. Sometimes there's a happy ending, and sometimes the story ends very differently than you would expect. So let's get the show started. Hi, and welcome to That Really Happened, Unbelievable Real Estate Stories. Today, we have Scott Lewis on the show. Scott is a co-founder and CEO of Spartan Investment Group. He has led several successful real estate developments, ranging from single-family flips to Rollin development. Spartan has completed $6 million in development projects, has $9 million more underway, and raised over $7 million in private equity. In addition to Spartan, Scott is also a major in the U.S. Army Reserves and is an Operation Iraqi Freedom Veteran. He has held various positions, including infantry platoon leader, military police company commander, and officer candidate school platoon trainer, amongst others. Scott graduated from Michigan State University with a degree in chemistry and marketing from Catholic University with an MS in management from Georgetown University with a certificate in project management and has his project management professional PMP certification. That's a lot of education right there. In his free time, Scott enjoys spending time with his wife, Lindsay, mountain biking, skiing, and chasing their two Jack Russell Terriers around the yard. Hey, Scott, welcome to the show. Hi, Ellie. Thanks for having me, and I appreciate the introduction. Of course, of course. I'm really happy to have you on the show. We haven't had a lot of developers on the podcast, and I think you can really share an interesting story with us today. Yeah, there's just there's there's not a lot of us because everybody else is smarter, so they don't do development. So, <laughs> uh, but it does make for some outstanding drinking stories because that's usually what how most of them end. Uh, but it it does add an, an aspect of complexity and requires a level of creativity that we, especially at Spartan Investment Group, like. Excellent. How did you end up in, in investing, you know, as in investment and as a developer? Because most people who want to get into real estate are, you know, development is not the first thing that comes into mind. Oh, and, and it wasn't for us either. It was the second. And it really was kind of by accident. And I say that because our, our contractor at the time, who has done a number of our jobs, in the District of Columbia had a piece of dirt and we had just finished a job with them and it went really well. We have a really good re working relationship with them. And he said, hey, do you guys want to do this? And we said, no, because we don't have the experience to, to go from dirt to, you know, it was just a single family home. So it wasn't anything that complex, but we had never really done utilities. We had never had to cut streets. It was a pretty simple development because it was matter of right for a single family home. So there wasn't a lot of complexity in the entitlement uh, process for that particular deal. But we just found through that deal, we, able, we were able to get through it. We were able to manage through a couple of issues, which 
developments always have. And we found that we have a proclivity for moving from dirt through the entitlement stage. So since then, we've done another really complex one in DC that was subdividing four lots into 11 lots. We actually just, all we did for that one was what in the development space, we call it horizontal. It basically, we got it entitled and sold the entitled land off to our other contractor and then moved on to a different project. So we've just found that the development space based on our risk mitigation, our personalities and our proclivity for dealing with you know, BS through, uh, you know, whether it's a government bureaucracy or a utility company, we've got a pretty big bucket for that. So we that's just kind of a space that we're carving out. Interesting, interesting. So Scott, let's let's dive into our story that the story that we're gonna focus on today. Tell me what's happening, what year is it, where are you, what are you doing? Just kind of set up the scene for for the story. Yeah, so we are developing a self-storage project in Black Diamond, Washington. It's 5.67 acres of raw land. In Northern Washington state, there is any number of development hazards as it pertains to environmental concerns. On our particular property, there are our wetlands, and that's the major one there. Luckily, we don't have any other protected waters and there's no uh, endangered species or anything else like that, which can make things very, very complex. So with this piece of dirt, it requires a conditional use for self-storage. It's not matter of right. In addition to mitigating the wetland concerns, which we've had, we had to go through and convince the city and i.e. the public of Black Diamond that this is a good idea, that they need storage in this particular area. And based on our feasibility study, they very much do. There's a, there's a big demand there. However, historically, and there's been some really great changes in the city of Black Diamond with some more progressive politicians coming in that, that support development and want to grow their comu community. Historically, it's been a very big challenge to develop up there. So we took on that challenge and got this piece of dirt and, and we got it for a pretty decent price based on the fact that there were wetlands and that it was in the city of Black Diamond, which is historically tough to develop. So that's kind of the project that I wanted to talk about. And really what I, I want the, the listeners to kind of prep to hear is the importance of preparing for everything that you do prior to going in so that you can mitigate uh, any surprises and be prepared to you know, adjust fire during your public meetings when you're doing a development because anything can come out of the woodwork when you're doing these meetings and you have to be prepared. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And you mentioned earlier that it was the city, Diamond City was particularly hard to deal with when it comes to development. Any idea why, why that is? Development is tough wherever you go. A lot of folks you know, that, that live there, especially that have a long tenure with whatever locale you're developing in, they, they want to protect their interests. A lot of people are resistant to change. It's just, it's just human nature to kind of resist development, no matter what it is. It could be a new hospital when there's not been a hospital there, and you will get somebody that comes out of the woodwork that wants no part of your hospital to be there. It, it's just the nature of development. It's when, when you're developing, it's not, am I going to have problems with the local neighbors and the citizens, that's the wrong question to ask. The question to ask is, I'm going to have problems with the neighbors. What are they going to be? And that's just why. It's it's no different in any jurisdiction. Uh, and Black Diamond was no different. And, and as the story will go, it had an incredibly surprising ending for us, one that we never, we, did, we never even planned for because it was so outside the realm of possibility that we didn't even plan for it. And 
if the leaders are familiar with what a black swan is, this was kind of a, a white swan, I'll say, where black swans are usually incredibly negative events. This one was an incredibly positive event. So I'll call it a white swan. Awesome. Well, it sounds great. I, I can't wait to, to hear the story. Why don't we uh, dive right into it? Sure. So in development, when you need to do a project or when your project is not matter of right, that is, it's not allowed by the current zoning code, depending on the jurisdictions, sometimes you have to get a variance, which is an incredibly risky process. Other times the code allows for special or conditional uses, just depends on the jurisdiction. They, they all call it something, but a use that if the planning commission if that's what it's called in your jurisdiction and the citizens are okay with your project, then we'll allow it as long as it adheres to design guidelines and master plans and overlays and, and, and all the other things that govern what you can do. So whenever you have to do a conditional use, and, I, and I'll use the term conditional use because that's what it was in Black Diamond, whenever you have to do a conditional use, you have to go through public hearings. Now each jurisdiction is different on how many public hearings you have to go through in, in the process. So in Black Diamond, there was one public hearing that we had to go through. There were multiple public notices that had to be sent out, but there was only one hearing. Just to give a compare and contrast real quick, at another project in Jefferson County, Colorado, there were three public hearings that we had to do for a very similar project. But that's for rezoning, so a little bit different. But going back to the conditional use hearing, we knew historically that Black Diamond had been troublesome to develop in and that that developers often fought very fierce resistance from both the political side of the house and the resident side of the house with development there. So we were, we were basically prepping for war. We use a technique called a pre-mortem, which basically is a technique to run through and figure out like, hey, what could cause this, I'll call it a project, what could cause this project to fail? What were the causes of those failures? And how do we mitigate them up front so that we can reduce the probability that that risk will happen, or if nothing else, reduce the impact of that risk? A lot of folks are, are familiar with the postmortem, where you kind of look back on a project and document lessons learned. I'm a big fan of the pre-mortem. If I can, I'm a big fan of, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So if I cannot deal with a bunch of headaches and, and nonsense because I, I did a couple of things right up front, I would much rather do that. So for Black Diamond, knowing that we were coming into a contentious environment in which the, both the city and the population were, were not a huge fan of developers, we executed a pre-mortem on this conditional use meet hearing to see like what could happen, what could not happen. So we went through and, and one of the things is angry neighbors that could show up and protest for, for whatever reason. We, we had an example, I, personally, where I had a neighbor protest a project, my personal home, we were doing a pop-up in DC, where their cat would no longer be able to walk across the rooftops if I did a pop-up on my house, therefore, I should not be allowed to do it. I'm a very type A infantry guy, so I'm gonna let your listeners kind of just imagine what my response was to that particular comment uh, and we'll just leave it at that <laughs> it's, it's completely <laughs> ridiculous i can say that <laughs> let's just say i was not in agreement with this neighbor yeah. we'll put it that way <laughs> so we we went through this pre-mortem and we annotated all kinds of stuff so one in particular that we did in well in advance was engage all of the neighbors so our chief investment officer who's our people person 
Ryan Gibson, who's who's very, very good with neighbors, actually went out and engaged all of the neighbors to ask, hey, here's what we're doing. We want to engage you now. Is there anything that you're concerned with? And let me walk you through the project well before we got to the conditional use meeting. A lot of times we as developers can get, I'll say, large requests from neighbors in order to not bother us. Sometimes they're very small and reasonable. And the neighbors who immediately abut our property had incredibly reasonable requests. They just, they had asked us for a particular uh, tree that they would like us to put in our screening buffer. And we said, of course, like no big deal. I don't, I don't know this tree is a $50,000 a tree. If it's not, then I don't really care what trees are there. If you have a particular preference, we'll work with you. And they didn't want any lights shining on their property. Both, both perfectly reasonable requests and as developers, you have to be flexible and, and adaptable to kind of go with the flow with, with and, and just adjust on anything that happens. Otherwise, you know, you'll end up the old adage that a flexible tree bends in the wind, but an inflexible tree breaks. So if you're not a flexible tree as a developer, you're not getting anywhere. So that was one of the things that we did prior to going in. But the that really happened moment came when we were sitting an hour before the conditional use hearing and our team of civil engineers, architects, and a biologist for our wetland issue were having coffee prior to the meeting. And somebody had asked, well, do we know anything about the hearing examiner on, on what questions he may ask? So I'll, I'll admit, we completely missed that in our pre-mortem. So we scrambled and we have a director of business intelligence on our team for Spartan who has a, a certain skill set for intelligence. So we asked her with very, very little time, like, hey, is there anything that in the public record that you could find on the hearing examiner? Like, A, who is it? And B, is there, is there anything that you can do to, to kind of prep us for this better than, than what we were? And we, we were pretty prepped. Like, we had it locked down to going in there. We just missed this one thing. So she starts digging in. And I told her, I said, hey, you have 15 minutes to get me whatever you can. And the, the, you know, the 60% solution on time is better than the 100% solution late. So she starts digging in and she comes back with an analysis package that basically says, hey, you know, this uh, hearing examiner is incredibly fair. He's ruled positively on some very contentious developments in the past. The one thing I'm seeing uniformly through all of his, all of the testimony that I was able to dig up and, and mind you, this was in 15 minutes. She's like, he might ask you about trip generation. And when you're doing a new development, trip generation is the amount of turns that will occur off a main road into your property because this property is there. Mm. So it can be a big deal if you're putting in a, a McDonald's that has 40 trips per hour, that can be a huge impact to traffic. Mm -hmm. So jurisdictions, right. rightfully so, want to understand how many trips are generated from a particular property because that may or may not kill your project, but they may or may not tell you, well, okay, you've got to build out a turning lane and put a street light in front of your project. There goes a quarter million dollars right there. Poof, gone. So we're like, okay, well, the next logical question is for a self-storage facility, is there a chip generation heuristic that's out there? And she comes back. I don't remember the exact number, but I want to do easy math. So let's call it five. She says five trips per 100 units. Like, oh. Okay, well, our facility is going to be 800 units, so 40 trips per day. Not a lot. That's, that's incredibly negligible. Usually under 100 trips per day, nobody even cares. Mm -hmm. So we're like, okay, is that it? And she's like, yep. So we go to the conditional use hearing, and 
this is what that really happened. So we walk in, nobody's there. And we're like, uh, we're in the wrong place. So then a couple of people show up. There's one neighbor that shows up and Ryan's like, oh, that's the one I talked to. And we agreed to do the trees. And then we had a couple other neighbors that showed up that were also our investors. So little, little duplicitous there, but they are absolute Black Diamond residents and they want a self-storage. It's why they invested in the project because they want the project in Black Diamond because both of them have storage in the next town over and they're tired of driving over there to go get their stuff. Mm-hmm. So we're like, uh, okay. Then the mayor shows up and we're like, okay, that's weird. And the uh, a council member shows up. We're like, okay, that's, that's weird. And I'll, I'll mind you, we've been flexible through this entire process, which has been over a year to get to. It's been 15 months. And we've worked with the city to, to help them achieve their goals that align with our goals for the facility. So we've been, we, we've developed a really good relationship with the city and they're a great bunch to work with. So we're just kind of looking around like, okay. So what happens is the planning commission staff gives their report. The gentleman that we, we've been working with over the past year stands up and he gives his report and they support the project because we've adhered to all of the design issues. We've, we've demonstrated the, the competence and the ability to build a project that they want in their city. So he gets up and he stands his support. And normally these meetings can go hours. Like we were listening to some pre-recordings as part of our pre-mortem to kind of see how these would go. And, and we, we saw some that were five hours long. So like, like oh we brought snacks. Yeah, like we like brought snacks and like Red Bull and like Gatorade in case we got dehydrated from like going back and forth. Like we were prepped for war. I think one of the guys brought a sleeping bag. So, you know, it, it was, we were really prepped for, for a, a really contentious meeting. And the, the staff gets up about 10 minutes, gives theirs. Uh, Ryan, Ryan's leading this project. So he gets, he gets up, he walks the city through what we're going to do. He walks the, I should say the, the conditional use hearing examiner. He walks the examiner through kind of our project. He walks him through the feasibility numbers. He walks him through our development plan. And that's about 10 minutes. Then the, all the neighbors get a chance to speak. And we're like, oh my, here it comes. The one neighbor stands up and says, I've been speaking with Ryan over the couple of months. He didn't have to, but he came down and he knocked on all of our doors. He asked us our concerns. He walked us through his project. He goes months in advance before I even knew about it. He goes, I really appreciate that. He's like, I've never had, he's like, I've been in construction for 30 years and I've never had a developer do that. He's like, I 100% support this project. And we're like, Wow. Okay, like I must be high because I can't believe this is happening. <laughs> and and then of course our investors come stand up and and give support. And you can and you can see the look on the hearing examiner's face that he doesn't know what's going on either. So and and he's like, okay, well we appreciate all of the the testimony from the from the citizens of Black Diamond. Thank you. It's refreshing to see that Black Diamond actually supports the project. It's the first time in my 25 years that I've ever seen this happen. So we're just looking around like completely confused. So we're like, all right, here it comes. The hearing examiner is going to ask us all kinds of tough questions that we have no idea what the answer is going to be. We're like, oh man, here it comes. And he's like, well, gentlemen, honestly, he's like, I've only got one question. Ellie, what do you think it was? When can you start? Nope. How many trips does your property generate oh. per day? <laughs> that was it. Amazing. And, and that's, and you had the answer for that. Cause you had, you had like what, 10 minutes to get the answer. Yep. So we had about 15 to get the answer. And then Ryan just repeats, well, it's five trips per 100 units. Our facility is 800 units. So we're going to be providing or we're going to be producing 40 trips a day. 
per, I, I think it was the self-storage almanac. It was a, it was a doctrinal self-storage reference that's pretty well known throughout the industry. And he's like, oh, okay, 40 trips a day. All right, I'm good. He's like, well, gentlemen, I don't have any other questions. You'll get my decision in, in two weeks. So we're like, uh, okay. <laughs> and then the mayor came up and she said, gentlemen, we really appreciate you you know, working with our city. We appreciate you engaging the neighbors. We appreciate you being good developers. And, and of course, you know, we, we appreciated her support and the, the city has been really great. And so have the, the politicians there. They're doing the right thing by Black Diamond by trying to promote good, sustainable development there in that community as it's growing, as Seattle is kind of pushing southwest, or I'm sorry, southeast towards Black Diamond. And we're like, okay. The time was probably, I think we started a little bit late, so I'd, I'd have to check my facts, but if we started at 6.15, it was 6.45. And we were out in the parking lot being like, what just happened in there? Like, holy crap, this is, I, I don't know if, if this is a fluke or if we just really did the right thing. I'm gonna say that, you know, from my kind of vantage point as CEO, the, the team did an amazing job everywhere from you know, the acquisition side of the house, picking a piece of dirt that was called by our feasibility consultant, a needle in a haystack and finding that. And that was a combination of our, our acquisition team and our business intelligence director. And then Ryan driving down there and doing some boots on the ground assessment to um, our project management, which has been led by Ryan and just going through and making sure that we've checked all the boxes for the development. And I think that was just the thing I want the listeners to take away from is you know, in addition to the concept of the pre-mortem, just the amount of planning and risk mitigation that went into it. And if you and if you take the time and planning sucks, nobody likes doing it. It's not sexy. You never get paid for it, but it can save you, you know, decades of headache if you get into a bad land deal that you can't get out of. So I think that's really the takeaway that I'd like the listeners to do is just for the development side of the house with proper planning, you can have amazing results and that's what really happened at our conditional use hearing. That's pretty amazing. Have you had any other experiences where you had kind of a smooth process when it came to development? Maybe not a smooth process, but at least you didn't have you didn't get a lot of pushback from the city or from from the, the tenants. Yeah, it's, it's, it's ironic that you asked that. We literally just got approved for zoning last week on another project here in Colorado. And this one was very, very similar. So again, you know, we do pre-mortems for all of these meetings to make sure that, and we do it with our team. So, you know, for the Black Diamond, that pre-mortem, it was probably three or four hours with our entire team who are charging us 300 bucks an hour. And there's like five of them. So it was not an inexpensive meeting. I mean, it was, it was a meeting that, that cost us some money. However, that meeting is probably one of the main reasons why that we were successful in that conditional use hearing because we mitigated it. So here recently we had more public hearings and we actually had a neighbor come out in opposition now we believe he did that through nefarious kind of means to try to kill our project so that he can make us an offer on the land he, he actually literally made an offer during his testimony to the city on our land and the city saw right through it but again you know we have been really flexible with the city and we have a great case manager over at Jefferson County, Colorado, and she's been working with us and, and we've been really flexible with them as well because with development, if you're a bullheaded developer and you're just going to do your project no matter what, it, it's going to be really, really hard for you. If you're that tree that bends in the wind, it'll be much easier for you to navigate the bureaucracy and, 
And don't get me wrong, every bureaucracy is frustrating. It doesn't matter if it's if it's a state government, city government, federal government, utility company, it doesn't matter. With development, you, you have to be flexible. And, and we were there. And the pre-mortem, the, the neighbor did tip his hand a little bit by meeting me on the site. And I did not get the warm and fuzzy for him at all. So I actually was not at that meeting. And Ryan Gibson, our CIO, like did a fantastic job uh, at that hearing. And, but he knew that that gentleman was coming because we had the pre-mortem. So we, we kind of wargamed what he would say and the possible like responses that, that he may be asked. And Ryan had the answers when he went in there and, and really did a great job. And, and again, that was, we had unanimous consent for the planning commission. And then at, you know, some of the, the board of county commissioners hearings go five hours. Ours was six minutes wow. and it was approved. Thanks for coming out next. So again, you know, doing the pre-mortem and that planning and the risk mitigation is, is really what probably helped us in addition to flexibility. I love those stories. And I think definitely the importance of planning and coming prepared and the whole concept of pre-mortem, which was new to me, I'm sure it's, it's also new to a lot of our listeners, I think is uh, highly important. So thank you so much, Scott, for sharing those stories with us today. No, I, I appreciate the opportunity to, to be on the podcast, and I, I really hope that something I said today, one of the listeners can immediately take and, and put that in his or her business and, and really kind of achieve something because of that, or, or at least make sure that they uh, dodge a bullet, if you will, uh, because of something I said. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So Scott, a question that I ask all my guests on the show, what would you tell your 20-year-old self if you could kind of you know, have the chance to do it? Stop drinking, start investing. <laughs> um, you know, I, I wish I had kind of have gotten into real estate a little bit earlier. Um, I, I had kind of a start and stop past with, with being a framer through college, but I, I didn't really do any investing. And my, my initial undergraduate studies really didn't have anything to do with real estate. So I, if I had to do it all over again, I, I probably do, would have done a lot more real estate focused undergraduate work to uh, kind of build a foundation of education to put the experience that I've had on top of. Got it. Got it. Yeah, that makes makes a lot of sense. And uh, Scott, where can people find you? No, great question. So folks can find us at our website, which is www.spartan-investors.com. Or I can be reached at scott at spartan-investors.com. All right. Perfect. Well, thank you again, Scott, for being on the show and sharing uh, your story with us. A surprising story because usually developments are not, they don't go that smoothly. So thank you so much for sharing that with us. Thank you, Elena. Again, thank you for allowing me to be on the podcast and, and good luck with, with getting it really rolling. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate it. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.